I believe this is our fourth message in Galatians. And the title of this message is called Peter's Hypocrisy, Paul's Sass in Our New Life. Oh, sounds intense, right? All right. Um, do you guys know anything about timeless beauty? Do you know what I'm talking about? Timeless beauty. What? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Yeah, that that was good. Good comedic timing. That was good. Uh, real good. Solid. Uh, anyway, <laughs> timeless beauty. Like there's something about a certain type of beauty that makes it timeless. And what is it about that? Like. There are certain types of art that no matter how new or how old the art is, when you look at that piece of art, you say, wow, that's beautiful. And people hundreds of years ago might have also said, wow, that's, that's beautiful, right? Um, you might look at a painting or a sculpture or like a fresco or some, some other type of thing and Say something along the lines of like, wow, that speaks to me, right? And that can happen with art because art is something that portrays beauty. Um, and something about it is timeless. There's the beauty that from ages past and from ages ahead of us, people will look at that thing and say, wow, that's, that's beautiful. They see the same thing and then even though different languages, different cultures, different customs, like people still look at it and will all acknowledge this is worth something. Right? Uh, what about music? Like like a symphony. Uh, even people who don't appreciate orchestras or symphonies or like music and don't know any kind of music theory or don't know the notes and the chords and the measures and the, all these things Somebody, like a symphony with a lot of beauty in it, people will be able to listen to it and go, wow, that's moving. It moves me. It makes me do something. It wants, makes me want to be something. Like just the way that the stringed instruments are playing along, the melody of the song and what's happening like, it speaks to me. And 100 years ago and 100 years from now, it will still move people. It moves people along. It progresses people. Um, stories do that too. Like there's timeless stories that maybe the, this story has been told for hundreds of years and it's still being told and it still speaks to people. It still moves people. Like when people hear this story, they like to, they imagine something. They go into the story. They play in it. They interact with the characters. Maybe characters inspire them and they want to be like somebody in the story. Or maybe some characters portray everything that they don't want to be. They go, oh man, I never want that for my life. Like stories, movies do that too. Not all movies, not all music, not all art, but the ones that have this timeless beauty. Well, let me tell you about something, a story, speaking of a story. Um, and this, this is a thing that no matter 
how young or how old I am, this will continue to speak to me, I'm sure, for the rest of my life. And it'll mean, I'm sure, at the end of my life, it will mean more to me than it does now. Uh, because of picking up like the, the weight of everything and experience of my life and carrying it on into the future. Um, my mom, for a long time, not a long time, but for several years, was a single mom. And it was just me and her. And we had a special like bond, connection, you know? And uh, she worked really hard so that she could provide... And um, there was a little short kid's storybook that came out when I was, I don't know, three, four, five, somewhere around there. And um, that sort of became like our story, you know. And the book is this little illustrated children's book called Love You Forever. Have you heard of it? Yeah, love you forever. So the story starts out like a mom. She's a young mom. She gives birth, and she's holding a baby in her arms. And she says, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. Right? And then the kid grows up, and he gets in his terrible twos, and he's messing up the house, and he's throwing the toilet paper everywhere, and he's got toothpaste all over the bathroom. And she gets mad at the kid because he's, like, messing up the house. But still, when she puts him to bed at night, she says, I'll love you forever and I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. And then he grows up and he becomes like a young boy and he's like, you know, thinks he's a cowboy and he's like shooting stuff. And she's like, where is this kid getting this stuff from? And he's kind of a pain in the butt a little bit. Uh, But still, she puts him to bed and then when he's asleep, she creeps into his room. And she picks him up in his sleep and says, I'll I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby will be. And then it goes on, and he's a teenager, and he's a soccer player, and he's like tracking mud through the house, and he's like listening to his music, and he doesn't want to listen to anything his mom says. And then still, when he's a teenager, she sneaks into his room at night when he's asleep, and she picks him up and holds him in her arms and repeats this over and over again. Um, then he grows up and he goes off to college and in the middle of the night she gets in her car and she drives to his dorm <laughs> it was getting to the point where it's just getting creepy <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perhaps, perhaps perhaps creepy so um, <laughs> and then she like she sneaks in his window <laughs> sleep and he's like a full grown college age <laughs> she goes I love you forever and I'll like you for always as long as I'm living my baby you'll be and then like it goes on and he has kids and all this stuff so it keeps it keeps progressing and then she's a grandma right and then it comes to the point where she's old and she can't pick him up anymore and she can't come drive to his house in the middle of the night and she can't do all these things because she's getting old and she's dying and she's getting weak so in the middle of the night he drives to her house and he sneaks into her window and he picks 
his frail little mother up. <laughs> and he says, I'll love you forever. And I'll like you for always. And as long as I'm living, my mama, you'll be. So that's that's a story that my mom and I have always shared. Um, do you still not do that? Do you? Well, so anyway, I love you forever. So that's one of those things that has like a timeless beauty to it. Right? That's like a story that makes people go, oh, like everybody did. And that's a thing that I share with my mom. And when I'm old and my mom is old, that's one of those things where it will mean even more to me then because of like the memories and experience of life. Um, and then someday when I'm old and she's gone to heaven, like it'll mean, I'm sure, even more to me then. It's got the timeless element. It's got the timeless beauty. It's got the thing that a hundred years from now, people will read that story and they'll go, oh, right? Because the mother-son relationship is forever. It's an eternal thing. It's like an ongoing thing that uh, it's not here today, gone tomorrow, but it's a timeless thing. Well, some things are timeless. Some things are in life will be the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. A hundred years ago now and a hundred years from now, they'll be the same. And this, in this case, as we're talking, uh, this is the gospel, the gospel story. The gospel story has timeless beauty. It's something that 2,000 years ago was changing people's lives. And it's something that today, it continues to change people's lives. And should the Lord tarry a couple thousand years from now, it will still be changing people's lives because it's got that timeless thing about it. It speaks to the human condition. It speaks to our lives. And it's not something that we like grow out of. Or it's not something that we modernize and progress as a society where we're like, okay, that's just some old superstitious religious stuff. We grew out of it, right? The gospel story is timeless stuff. And I wanted to tell you about Paul's vision. Paul had a vision, like he had a literal vision, like he saw Jesus. Um, But with that vision that Jesus communicated to him came a vision for life and a vision for how to do life in church and how this is all going to work out in society and in people's lives and dealing with people's flaws and imperfections and dealing with all of this stuff. And Paul had this vision for what the gospel would do to a people in a community, in a group, in a city, in a society, in a nation, in a world. Like, Paul's vision was that this thing, this gospel thing, would bring 
people together. It would unify people. It would, it would break down borders like male, female, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, those things that we like to use to distinguish ourselves and uh, make our, give ourselves like senses of importance or superiority and stuff like that. It gets rid of that and it brings all of these people together uh, into this new type of community. Uh, it levels the playing field, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like, those things that in the flesh that we can boast about are accomplishments and those things that we achieve by the might of our will and by our determination and by our effort. Um, those things uh, don't mean anything in light of eternity, as Paul would say. And this gospel story with its timeless beauty is leveling the playing field. It's putting kings on the same level as peasants. You know what I mean? And it's putting pastors on the same level as a congregation. And it's putting men on the same level as women. It's it's saying these divisive things that we like to set up in these boundaries that we like to build, like, oh, you can't talk to me like that. You can't treat me like that. It puts everybody on level ground. And it gives us this freedom, this unspeakable freedom. And last week we talked about it being called an untamed freedom. And this freedom was so prevalent in this Jesus community that outsiders were coming into this community, it says, to spy out the freedom that they had. It's like people on the outside, and this happened to be like religious people who wanted to like put some rules and regulations on this freedom. These people are coming in and like infiltrating this, this little Jesus community who has this freedom that it's causing like some stir and some buzz in the community at large and people are wondering at this like what the heck is this all about this can't be a religious community this can't be I mean, it's all about order and structure and being good and following the right rules and living the right way and like as it would go on to say like being circumcised and eating the right food and observing religious holidays and offering sacrifices and doing all this stuff. But they hear that they're not these people that are super huge on keeping rules. In fact, they have this untamed freedom. That's like, you can't explain it. And they're coming into the society because they, they, they're like, what is this all about? This crazy freedom and for some reason this freedom isn't leading people to like be at each other's throats and kill each other and like it's not causing the harm and chaos that the religious people who like rules and structure and order and all this stuff think that it's going to cause see those type of people they hear freedom and they're like oh no because freedom is bad don't do that. Don't let them do that. Put some rules and regulations on those people because freedom is bad. Because if you let freedom happen, then the next thing that's going to happen is just 
chaos and drunkenness and debauchery and orgies and all this stuff. And that's what it'll go on to say in Galatians. I'm not just making that up. Uh, This is what's going on. But the gospel brings about this freedom because it liberates us, not just from like duties and rules and actions, but it liberates us at the soul level. It liberates us from the inside out. It sets us free. Well, let's talk about, this is Paul's vision, but let's talk about Peter's hypocrisy. All right. Um, Peter is like one of those guys. You know what I mean? Peter's one of those guys. He's like, he's one of those guys that he's like all bark and very little bite. He'll like tell you about all the stuff that he's going to go do. And then rarely does he go and do it. Uh, like you might remember like Peter seeing Jesus on the water, the other disciples thinking it's a ghost. And he's like, no guys, I got this. And he steps out on the water and he's like, I'm so going to walk to Jesus on the water. And he starts sinking. Right. And then he's like a huge overreactor. Like he's in the garden with Jesus and the authorities come to take Jesus to like, take him to the purpose that he was meant for, which is to go to the cross, right? And he's like, draws his sword out, and he's like, oh no, you don't! (laughs) Off with your ear. And he cuts off the guy's ear, and Jesus just looks at him, and he's like, no. And he picks up the ear, and he puts it back on, and he's like, you dork, stop! (laughs) You know? And then, like, on the night of his betrayal, like, they're having the last supper, and Jesus is like, okay, one of you is going to betray me. And everybody like gets a little bit shifty in their seats. And, and then he's like, and then somebody here is going to deny me. And Peter, I don't know what he was thinking, or if he wasn't thinking, or if he was like feeling this extreme sense of denial. He's like, it won't be me. I'm not going to do it. I won't deny you. Right? And he's like, no, no, no. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. So as time goes on and as events unfold, this magnificent confidence of Peterness, or maybe we could call it like foolishness, foolhardiness. Like what he says he's going to do, he doesn't do. And a little girl comes up to him and is like, you're one of those guys, aren't you? And he's like, no, I'm not. Get away. You know, he's like so afraid of men. And little girls, not just men, but I use men in a general sense. He's afraid of man so much that a little girl pointing at him and saying, you're a Jesus follower, right? Would cause him to freak out and run away. So he's one of those guys that like, they say they're going to do something or be something or go somewhere. And then they just... It never comes to fruition. There's this disconnect. There's a disconnect between their talk and their walk. Like what they say they're going to do and how they actually live. What they say they believe and when the rubber meets the road, like what they do. There's a disconnect with Peter. And 
we see it come out in the form of this double standard. I mean, it comes out in a lot of ways. Uh, but one way is this double standard, right? He's, he's kind of like a chameleon. You know what I mean? Like, whoever he's around, he will become whatever he needs to become to make those people happy. So when he's in Jerusalem with the apostles, as we heard about last week, like, Paul takes Titus, his, like, young little buddy, his, like, budding pastor intern kind of guy, and they go up to Jerusalem and they meet Peter, James, and John, right? Like John the beloved, James, brother of Jesus, and Peter, the rock, right? Peter, Petros, Cephas, this means the rock, right? Some rock he is, well. So they go up to Jerusalem to meet with these guys, and Titus is a Greek. And when Peter is around these guys, like good solid guys, they're apostles, they're like were disciples of the Lord. They like walked with the Lord for three years doing ministry with them. When he's around these awesome guys, he like conforms into who they are. And when Paul and Titus are up in Jerusalem, even though Titus is a Greek, which obviously means that he's not circumcised like a Jew, they don't say, none of them say, including Peter, that he needs to be circumcised. Right? We don't need to impose this law on a Greek or so. Like That's the way that Peter is behaving in Jerusalem. Well, now, all of a sudden, uh, some stuff goes down. All right, so let me read this real quick, and then I'll explain it. Uh, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. That's Paul saying that. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. That's intense. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically hypocritically, along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how then can you force a Gentile to live like a Jew? Right? So I'll I'll explain it. So what's going on is Peter, like this, being this chameleon guy, he's up in Jerusalem and he's around the apostles and he's like, He's conforming to who they are. And when he's in the presence of those people, he's not saying these things like, oh, Titus, you know, you need to start following Jewish customs. You need to be circumcised and you need to start eating a certain way and you need to observe the Sabbath and you need everything. Go read Leviticus, okay? Uh, He's not saying that in Jerusalem. But now all of a sudden he's in Antioch and Peter is a Jew and he's eating at a table with Gentiles. And you're like, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that like Gentiles were unclean. And in order for, in that day, for Jews to eat with Gentiles before Jesus, 
right? Before understanding that he, he made all things clean. Certain things were unclean. And a Jew couldn't eat with a Gentile unless a Gentile went through this whole protocol of like going through this ritual cleanliness of themselves and of their tables and of their utensils and of their, their whole entire, it was a big ordeal, you know? So people, Jews don't just sit down and have table fellowship with Gentiles because it says two things. Um, It says, I'm your friend and it says, you're okay by me. And that wasn't the case in this day. So, now here's the hypocrisy. Peter's hypocrisy. He is at a table in Antioch, eating with the Gentiles. Now, this isn't a problem at all. Because in Christ, all things are made clean. So now you don't have to go through all this ritual stuff for a Jew to be able to sit at a table and eat dinner with the Gentile. But here's the hypocrisy. He wants to make those people happy, the Gentiles. So he's like, yeah, I'm a good guy. Come on. You should hang out with me. Let's eat dinner together. I can eat with you because it's not an unclean, clean thing now. Now we're just all one in Christ and we can eat together. And you're looking at Peter. And if you're an outside observer, you're like, he's a good guy. He's doing stuff. A-okay. He's all right by me. He's doing the right things. Uh, so why is this a bad thing? Why is Peter, why does Paul call Peter out? Why does he say, why does he identify like you're afraid? And here's the thing, because he, though a Jew, lived among Gentiles and had a disregard from the cleanliness laws. But he was saying to the Gentiles, you need to be like Jews because of fear. He's always afraid of man. He has been for a long time and he still is now. He was afraid of a little girl. Peter's like afraid of his own shadow. So when he's with James and John in Jerusalem, he's afraid of James and John. That's why he goes along with whatever they say. When he's at a table with Gentiles, He's afraid of the Gentiles. And that's why he eats with them. Because he's like, yeah, you're okay by me. This is all good in Christ now. But all of a sudden when the circumcision party comes, because of his fear, he distances himself. And he like gets up from the table like, I wasn't just... They, they were there and they were giving me some beef. And no, I didn't have any bacon. What are you talking about? So he's cool with the Jews as long as, or the Gentiles, as long as no one else is around. But as soon as the, the Jews come up, he's afraid of them more because of their like peer pressure stuff. So he distances himself. He's like, I'm your friend now, but as soon as the Jews are here, I'm not your friend. You guys know anybody like that? Yeah. Like, I'm your friend when it's just you and me, but I'm not your friend when so-and-so who I'm afraid of more walks up. Right, and and people start to be like this weird two-faced person. You're like, I thought we were just, we were just buds. We were cool. We were good. We were enjoying each other's company, and now all of a sudden you like them more. You can't be my friend now because they're here. What is this all about? And it's all the fear of man. 
Peter has this real deep fear of man. So he's, he's got the gospel in theory, but he doesn't have the gospel in practice. He'll tell you all about the gospel, but he doesn't live it out. So the question is, in all of this, what is Paul doing as he comes up? Paul's like, he's got what I call sass in the spirit, right? So Paul comes up and he calls Peter out and he's like, Peter, uh uh-uh, you can't do that. Not in big mama's house or like not in big papa's house, all right? Paul gets like the shepherd mentality and he's like, no, you're messing, you're leading my sheep astray. You're making them go away from Jesus and not toward Jesus. Does this make sense? Because in Peter's hypocrisy, and people are like looking up to Peter, and it's probably making him like really full of himself and like happy about this. Like, yeah, people look up to me. I got power now. I got authority. What? People like listen to what I say. But because he's being hypocritical, in his hypocrisy, people that are looking up to him look up to him and model his hypocrisy. And he's leading Barnabas astray. He's leading other Jews astray. And he is causing people to move away from Jesus. And that's why Paul gets this like sass in the spirit. And he's like, listen, you can't do this. You're messing people up. You can't make people go away from Jesus. And you can't live hypocritically. You got to get in line, Peter. And he lets them have it like right in front of everybody. He's like, listen, points at him like a little boy, like, better get your stuff together, right? Not away from Jesus, toward Jesus. And it makes me wonder, like for for us, are we going toward Jesus or away from Jesus, right? See, some people are like this. I could imagine like some of the some of the young guys like uh, that I might be pouring into or discipling or like leading along the path of life and that like I'm investing in their life and maybe like high school or just out of high school and stuff like this and I could imagine sitting down with one of these guys and just asking him about life like what's going on how are things going right now tell me about what you, you know and just listening to them um And I could imagine one of them saying, JC, listen, there's this girl. And I'm like, oh, really? There's a girl. And they're like, yeah, let me me tell you about this girl. And I'm like, okay, I'm listening. And they go, I see this girl all the time. And I think she's the one. Like, how do you know that she's the one? Like, she rides her bike right through Blue Jay every day and I see her and she looks like she's really in good shape and she's like you know she she's on a mission like she's going somewhere like she's going to make something happen with her life and I'm I'm just listening being patient growing in my patience every day and I'm like oh yeah uh, what does she like to do and they're like well you know ride bikes and I'm sure she like Eats good food because she's in good shape. Wow, so what's her name? And then they just like, their face goes blank and they're like, uh, like that magic has gone from their eyes and they're like, uh, 
So, like, I haven't... Well, I haven't talked to her yet. I haven't talked to her yet. I'm going to, but I haven't. See, I'm, I'm planning to. I'm like... What I would have to say to this guy is... You don't love this girl... You're stalking this girl. Let's face reality, young man. You are stalking this girl. And it's weird. If she knew, it would probably creep her out. And I know, it's creeping me out. If anybody watches you, they're, you're creeping them out. Because you're like fogging up the window of hot shots. You're like staring out, watching her ride by on her bike every day. What are you doing? Stop it. And I would slap this person upside the head. Say, get your act together. Right? <laughs> You're stalking, but you're confusing it for loving. That's what I think a lot of us are doing. We're stalking Jesus. We admire Jesus from a distance. We might know the things that he does. We might have read some Bible stories. Like, yeah, that one time when he, like, he fed people, right? No, no, no. One time you like made a blind guy see, right? And you're like, yeah, and you're listening more and more. And what you begin to realize is that this person doesn't actually love Jesus. They don't know him closely. They aren't interacting with him on a personal level. They're watching him from behind a fogged up window at Hot Shots, ride his bike by every day. And they're making assumptions about him, like, oh, he must eat really good because he looks buff. Right? I think, personally, I just, I think Jesus was buff. He walked everywhere and he was a carpenter. He was like, you know, he worked with this, I think he was buff. Yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah. So for some of these people, and only you know who you are, you're stalking Jesus. And I might want to smack you upside the head and be like, Psh! stop it. You're stalking him and it's weird and it's creeping me out and it's creeping everybody else out. And you're fogging up the window, so stop. Yes. You're stalking Jesus and you're not loving Jesus. See, loving him means getting to know him. And getting to know him means like talking with him, finding out things about him, interacting with him on a day-to-day personal level. Not making assumptions about him like, oh, he must eat good food, he's buff. He rides his bike, which means he likes the Tour de France. And you're making these weird assumptions about Jesus acting like you know him, and you don't know him. And maybe if you really got to know him, you'd find out that he's a lot different than you're thinking. And he's a lot more real of a person. Like he actually has stories about his life. He actually has things that he wants to tell you. He actually has desires and dreams for your life. But you're watching him from behind the glass at Hot Shots. 
and he wants to actually sit down and have coffee together, talk about stuff. And what flows out of that is this new life where there's unity, there's love of ground, there's untamed freedom. This new life comes from this old gospel, this timeless beauty is still shaping and changing us today. And some people would want to make this gospel about rules and very regulated and very like predictable. And that's what Peter was fighting against. Not that eating, not that Peter eating Jews. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> so Peter turns into a cannibal and no. <laughs> guys, this is a lot harder than it was. <laughs> it was in yeah, verse 14. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> not that Peter eating with Jews is a bad thing. But it's bad when it's hypocritical. Not that keeping elements of the law is a bad thing, but keeping it hypocritically is terrible. And Paul would get some sass in the spirit to you and say, stop doing that. Stop being a chameleon. Stop living by a double standard. Stop doing things yourself and thinking it's okay when you do it and it's not okay when other people do it. Stop it. Some of these people think that this Christianity is about don't, don't, don't. Don't drink. Don't hang out with this person. Don't wear that. Don't say that. Don't stay up past your bedtime. And it's... When you live according to don't, 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 and making people happy, and pleasing man, and being a chameleon, is that your life turns into plate spinning. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen those guys who could like sit on a unicycle and spin like a whole bunch of plates all at the same time? And you keep like, they're really good at it. So they do this on purpose, but you keep thinking that one of the plates is going to fall. And then right at the last second, they like make it spin again. Right? Well, if our life is about pleasing man, looking impressive to man, if our law, if our life is about keeping do's and don'ts, do read your Bible all the time. Do make your parents happy. Do make your friends at school happy. Do make your teachers happy. Don't drink and don't smoke and do go to church. And uh, It becomes a bunch of plate spinning. All of a sudden, if one falls down, then you lose your balance and the whole thing falls down. You're like, what is this? It's not everything I thought it was. It's not everybody I tricked people into believing it was. And that's those times where 
We're not loving Jesus. We're stalking Jesus. We're not really having a relationship with him. We're fogging up the window at Hot Shots. Freedom is a little bit scary. And when we live out this gospel story, and we see its timeless beauty, and when we live according to the law of Jesus, all of a sudden we're in this new kind of law of love. Jesus says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. And you're like, oh wow, that's really way too open-ended. Like, who do I love? And how much do I love? And who is one another? Is he one another? He slapped me on the cheek the other day. You see, Paul said that people were coming in the community and spying out the freedom so that they could turn the free into slaves. Because slavery is a lot more comfortable. Slavery has nice boundaries and boxes and rules and regulations and you just do what you're told. And you might hate the slave master, but oh well, you're in shackles. What are you going to do about it? When life is don't, don't, don't and do, 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 it's easy to say, yep, did it or didn't do it. Checked it off, got it done. It's easy to keep spinning the plates. But all of a sudden, when Jesus says, the two greatest commandments are this. Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You start to ask questions like the Pharisees. Oh yeah, Jesus? Well, who's my neighbor? We want clarity. We don't want wide open spaces. We want boxes. We want do's and don'ts and black and white and yes and no. And there's a line and I want to stay away from it. But he says, the new law is love. And on those two, love God and love your neighbor, on those two, the whole law hinges. That if you're doing those two, you're doing everything. And in Jesus, there's no longer clean and unclean. It's this freedom, these wide open spaces, and people want to keep returning to slavery. But this new life is about freedom. And what Paul says Peter is not doing, and I think the implication is that we are to do this. Paul says to Peter, you're not walking in step with the truth of the gospel of Jesus. So the question for us is, are we walking in step with the gospel? Are we listening to Jesus? Are we stop stalking Jesus? Are we loving him? Are we close with him? When he speaks, are we listening? Are we attentive? When he's telling us to do something, do we hear and do we listen? Are we so connected and so close to him that we are his sheep and we hear his voice? When he tells us to 
live a certain way, to go a certain direction, to live out a certain call in our lives? Are we so in tune? Are we walking so in step with him and with his gospel that we're out of step and out of rhythm with the world and we're in step with Jesus? Have we stopped trying to earn grace and realized that all we could do is just receive it? All we could do is live in it. So we move past all this stuff and we learn from Peter's mistakes. And we realize like This whole thing is about walking in step with the gospel. Becoming a new thing. Living a new life. Being a new creation. Like the way that God spoke. And there was the first creation that we read about in Genesis. He's now speaking to his people. And his people are becoming the new creation. And the new creation is budding up like the spring right before our very eyes. This isn't like some thing of hypocrisy and being a chameleon and a double standard and I don't keep rules, but I'm going to make you keep rules. And I don't get angry at myself when I do this, but I'm going to get angry at you when you do this. And I can be mean to me, but you can't be mean to me. And, you know, new life, all new. And are we stepping into that, even though it's a little bit scary? Even though it's wide open spaces? Even though the new law is not don't, 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 do, 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 it's... Love. Go love. And you're like, well, somebody has to make me love. That's what I'm waiting for. That's why I'm not loving right now. Because I'm waiting for someone to come along and beat me with a whip like I'm a slave and make me. Well, I fear if that's the case, we haven't got it. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the new life. Thank you for grace. Thank you for freedom. God, thank you for setting us free from the bondage of sin. Don't want to be people who are being all weird and stalking you. We want to be people who actually are close to you and love you. Lord, we invite you here. Help us to be people that are walking towards you, not away from you. Lord, and give us the strength for these things that we're not so sure about. Let us step into that new life. Let us reckon the old man dead. And become a brand new thing, a brand new creation in you. In Jesus' name, amen.